It's a book called Meaning in the Making by a photographer that I absolutely adore named Sean Tucker. It's not a Christian book. But what I didn't know about one of my favorite people on this earth that I look up to was that at one point in his life, he was actually a pastor. He's from London, and he goes into depth a little bit about his reasons for leaving the church, and I won't get into that. You should read the book. It's powerful. But what he does is he takes creation or making or art forms and relates it directly to the Bible without even really knowing that he did it. And what this did, this book sparked some things into me that I'd never really thought about before. Things that I'd came across throughout my life that all of a sudden started to click and make sense. Now, isn't it funny how Holy Spirit will do that? He'll take something that's completely out of left field and put it right down the center plate. That was my best baseball reference. I don't do sports. I'm sorry if I embarrassed myself. But one of the things that really floored me about this book was as I was reading about his childhood and his past and the things that he'd been through and the things that he had done, it was ringing so true, almost mimicking my life, only he grew up in Africa and I grew up in West Virginia. That's a really big difference if you haven't figured that out. I've never been to Africa, but I'm pretty sure it's a lot different down there. Okay, he knows. But as I started to read this book and then read it again and then read it again, and then I bought the audio version and I listened to it incessantly and then I read it again and then I started making notes and I started writing stuff down, he started speaking these messages and paths to me. But wouldn't you know it, on Tuesday of this week, he completely changed the whole message. And he did so at a time when I had a ton of outside influences coming at me, left and right. Things that were random, things that didn't make sense. Business problems, we'll say. Things that made every day a little bit longer and a little bit harder. And as, as, as if you've ever owned and ran a small business, you know that you're on the clock 24-7. I didn't catch it until last night at about 1 a.m., but I had lived an entire week of what we're going to talk about today. As you can see on the screen, the title of this message is Order and Chaos, Finding Light in the Shadow. And this will be part one to a two-part series from me. So on the 26th, is this right? That's the 26th, he said? I don't know. At at the end of the month, the last Sunday after Thanksgiving, after we're all fat and fed, I'll be tying this up and we'll be speaking a little bit further into some of these ideas and concepts. So let's just jump right into it. Father, I'm thankful that you've allowed me to be here today with this message. I'm thankful that you completely wrecked it and changed it. And I'm also thankful that you're right here with us right now. That even though we sang that you came, that you were already here and you just opened our eyes to see it. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what if I told you that you were made to create? You guys are giving me blank stares already. This is going to be long. Okay, I promise it won't. I'm going to try to do straight, strong, and not too long. And I ripped that off of my buddy Jeremy Foster. Did I do it right? No, I don't think I did. But what if I told you that you were made to create? Would you believe me? Your faces say no. One person said yes. He said yes. All right. 
My answer was probably not. But what if I told you you had talent? Would you believe me? You might not know what it is. Some people are shaking their heads. Some people are nodding. What if I told you you had a purpose? Now, we've all heard that. You have a purpose. God's put you here on this earth for a reason. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. He's called you. He's saved you. But how many of you guys really know what your purpose is? No fair, no fair, Kathy. Two people. And lastly, what if I told you you had a power within you to separate light from dark, order from chaos, to fill empty voids? Would you believe me? Yes, you guys are ruining my message. So let me paint a picture. We're going to talk about chaos. We're going to talk about order. But let's, let's paint a little bit of picture here. I'm 11 years old, and I'm on my grandparents' farm in Flat Top, West Virginia. <clears throat> well, just a few weeks prior to this, as school was closing up in science class, I learned what the Milky Way was. And I also really liked candy bars. So I was intrigued how something so big and so vast and so seemingly impossible would be named after a candy bar. That didn't make any sense to me. We know it's vice versa. But in an 11-year-old Frank brain, candy is king. But I lived basically in downtown Charleston. And no matter how many clear nights that I went outside in the summer and laid in my yard and stared and stared and stared and stared, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it because there was so much light radiating from the city of Charleston that it drowned out the sum of the stars, the Milky Way. I was pretty upset about it. But on the way to the farm, the flat top, if you're not familiar where Flat Top is, Flat Top's where Winter Place is, Flat Top Mountain. That whole mountain there at one point was my family's property. <clears throat> so every summer I'd go up there and spend time on the farm, chase cows and pretend like I was a farmer. But that summer I had an agenda, and that was to stare in the space and find the Milky Way. I had no idea that on the very first night there, I'd go out into the field, lay down, stare straight up at the sky, and see nothing but a vast blanket of stars. <clears throat> and the more I looked, and the more I strained my eyes, and the more my eyes adjusted to the darkness and I relaxed, I began to see it come into the picture. And then all of a sudden, completely overwhelmed by what I'm seeing, there it is. And I thought to myself, ha ha, there it is. This is amazing. And I'll never forget the night. It was really humid. The dew was heavy. I was soaking wet and knew my grandma was going to beat me for coming back into the house completely wet. But I didn't care. I laid there anyway, just staring at it. And as, the more I stared at it, the more I started to contemplate how big it really was and how they talked about how the earth was just this little teeny tiny dot in this big, vast expanse of the universe. And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I felt the enormity of creation. And I remember thinking back then, having grew up around church and understanding who God was, well, he must have made all this. But there was another thing that now, as a 42-year-old man, looking back at this memory, I remember that my teacher was talking about the order within the universe and how things have a certain way of kind of staying within generalization in the same spot and how we keep our orbits and how the earth rotates at a certain speed, which keeps us planted to it. 
The more I thought about how big this was, the more I started to really freak out. My gosh, I'm so small. And then all of a sudden, as you lay there and you're staring at this big, vast expanse, I kind of feel like I might be falling off of it. The more I sit there and the more I think about it, my childhood brain starts to do some funny fantasizing. Now, you guys have heard me preach before and you've heard me talk before about my cartoon brain. And back then, it was real bad. <clears throat> I started to think about, what if the earth really did start to slow down and gravity fails, and I flew off the face of the earth? What would happen to me? And I thought, what if the sun gets really fat and eats the earth? That's a joke. You can laugh. It's okay. But it's actual truth because the teacher had told us about the sun kind of growing and getting bigger and over millions of years, it could possibly engulf the universe. But in my brain, I thought about it, eating the planets and getting fat. And what happens if the sun comes and eats the earth? What's that going to be like? And I got even further, and I've started really playing with it. And I'll never forget this. And I laughed a whole lot at myself that day. But what if the moon really was cheese, and the, earth, the, the sun got fat, and then it melted? And then the tides failed, and the water moved all over the planet. I started thinking about the absolute worst things that could happen. Biggest of all, I started to think about the forces that kept this chaos in order. Gravity, physics. Didn't really know what physics was back then, but she told me that word, so I said physics. No idea until later in my life how complicated physics is. But at that point, I was able to relax a little bit more, spread my arms out like a big star, and really start to think about some things. Think about the chaos, the order that keeps the chaos at bay. The moment I realized how powerful it was, proof being that it had held me on the earth up to that point, and it's held me there ever since, just as it, as it has you guys. But what's more, it made me start to question it. Well, why is it there? Why do we have this orbit? Why is the earth in that spot and Pluto's not? Why is Pluto so small? I started to really question everything about it, and my naivety of how permanent it was started to wane. So today we're going to talk about three things. What is order? What is chaos? That's one. How can we fill voids and emptiness? How do we see light within a shadow? Now, fair warning. This message is really tamed down from the nerd version it was before. You guys are laughing, and I'm happy about it. But it was really over top of my head. And the more I told it to people and I went through it, they kind of looked at me like, so this isn't the dumbed-down version, but it's simplified in a way that I think you guys will understand it, and I actually understand it better. But it's going to hit some things that are really, really near and dear to me. So first off, we need to do some defining of some things. First part, chaos versus order. So what's the definition of chaos? And you guys know how much I like to dig into the word and dig into words and dig into their meaning and their origins. So Merriam-Webster's first definition of chaos is behavior so unpredictable as to appear random, right? Second, the formless matter that existed before the creation of the universe. Now, I left out a word. It actually said the formless matter that supposedly existed before the creation of the universe. 
But let's go a step further and go back to the Hebrew. And this is fun because last night I spent a couple hours fighting with my computer over this word, okay? This word in Hebrew, tohu vabohu. Now, the definition of that is really kind of hard to nail down. <clears throat> but we can go to Genesis 1 and kind of look at how, how it was translated and look at a few different juxtapositions of the, of the Hebrew vernacular and how it's, transla- how it's translated to English, and we get without form or void. Tohu, meaning formless. Bohu, meaning emptiness. But it also could mean darkness, unseen, nothingness. So from those three definitions of one single concept, it's safe to say that for there was me and you and the mountains and the seas, just as it says in Genesis 1, in the very beginning there was nothing. Void. Chaos without form. So now that we've got a blanket understanding of what chaos is, let's define order. Definition, Merriam-Webster's. The arrangement or disposition of people or things in relationship to each other according to a particular sequence, pattern, or method. It's a lot of words that basically means a clean and tidy house. Order. Things put in order. I'm not very good at putting things in order. You guys are laughing a little bit, and that's fun. It also means classification, organization, likeness or dislikeness. Now, there is one place in my house that I keep organized, and that's my studio room. I'm not lying, telling partial truth. I try to keep it organized, but as I work, it gets chaotic, and I can't find a memory card, and I can't find a cable, and then all of a sudden, I can't find a camera. I'm not kidding. Too many camera bags, too many things moved around, but when I take a few minutes to put things in order, something changes. There's a feeling that comes within that room that all of a sudden becomes comforting. So how do we get order out of tohu, tofu? That was the battle I had with my computer for a couple hours last night. Is every time I typed tohu wabohu, it changed it to tofu wabofu. I don't know what a bofu is, but I do love tofu. How do we get order out of tohu wabohu, out of chaos, out of nothingness? We've got a perfect example of how that's done in Genesis 1. We go into the very beginning of the book. I forgot my Bible this morning because I was running behind, but I have it written down in my notes. We see in Genesis 1 that God birthed this order in a certain and beautiful way. So let's read Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. This is out of the NIV. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <clears throat> now the earth was formless and empty, or tohu fabohu. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering above the waters. And God said, what did he say? Let's say it louder. What did he say? Right, we all know that. We know how the rest of it goes. We've, We've had that imprinted into us over and over again from the time we were that big. But we know that at that moment, he starts to do what? No. You guys are really close, but you're getting it all wrong. Nope. He starts to speak. So at that point in the story, there was chaos. But then there was a word. 
Then from that word came order. So what does this mean for us? How do we fill formless voids with order? Let's stay in Genesis. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures moving along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And also in Genesis 2.7, we see, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living being. So we can see that God created order by speaking a word, and then he created man by breathing a breath. So in order to have first spoken that word, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you a curveball. And I might say a few things that you've never heard before. And I'm taking, I'm taking some, some Jamie Wright license here with, with kind of a new mindset. I'm going to tell you where, where this book took me into a new line of thinking. Now, it's not something that's outside of the realm of possibility or outside of Scripture, but it's a new way that we can look at this and think about who we are, why we are, and what we are. So I pose to you this question. <clears throat> if God created us in his image, the creator, did he not create us to create? Did he not create us to breathe? That's a topic that we're going to delve into real, I've got to watch this rabbit hole here. That's a topic that we're going to delve into real big in a couple weeks is breath, is breathing, is inspiration, is respiration, and how those words break down and what they really mean. But if God created us in his image, and the first thing that he would have had to have done to speak order in the chaos was take a breath, then I have to think to myself, being created into his image, we're created to first breathe. Through that breathing, we have the ability to breathe in the pneuma, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, in every situation that we come across. Going further, we get to return that breath in an exhale. And through that exhale, we have the choice to just either just let it come, let it be returned breath, returned worship, returned praise, or we have the opportunity to speak. So all given talents, giftings, and abilities aside, he gave us something very powerful and common, and that's what we're talking about is breath. Now, this is something that fascinates me, and it's something that I'm a little behind the curve on learning. But when we take a deep breath, our body naturally wants to make a sound. <clears throat> our inhale is, or it could almost be, let me get the mic closer for the people on the interwebs. Yeah. And when we exhale, oy. by inherent design in creation, we're built by breathing to speak God's name. So back in the old text, God's name, Yahweh, was looked at to be so important that it actually would leave the vowels out of it. So they would spell it 
Y-H-W-H. You'll see me running around. Hold on. I got one with me. Well, it's not in the Bible like this. They don't spell worship in the Bible like this, but this is, this is an example of taking the vows out because this product, this placement, is trying to say that worship's so important that we can't put the vows in. That God is so important that they were fearful of writing his name in whole. So they would write it Y-H-W-H. But by his design, when he got down in the dust and the dirt and the mud and formed man in his image and then breathed that first breath into him, he was speaking his name into us. I got proof of that. Proof that we were built to breathe and to speak life into existence. Now, you have to be kind of careful here because I don't want my words to be mistaken as that you can speak everything and anything into existence. I don't necessarily 100% disagree with that, but I don't 100% agree with it either. I believe that God gave us the ability to speak life into existence. Because it says in Proverbs 18.2 in the NIV, and we're going to go back and forth on a couple versions here because it's really cool transposition. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. But I love how the message speaks this. It kind of rolls in like a gangster, and it says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. But let's go a step further. Proverbs 13.3 in the NIV says, Those who guard their lips preserve their lives. But those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Here we come with the message again, rolling up like a thug. Careful words make for a careful life. Careless talk may ruin everything. So that tells us that not only do we have the ability to speak life into existence, but we can also speak death into existence. By not Choosing our words carefully. How many of you in this room, and online I'm sure you have too, but how many in this room have said something that you couldn't take back? How many times in your life have you let something come flying out of your mouth and really wanted to reach out and grab it? Right? See, that's the thing. Words have so much power that once they leave your lips, you can never have them back. So every time we choose to open our mouth and we choose to speak, we have an important choice to make in that moment. And I am 100% guilty of making the wrong decisions sometimes. I am a man, I am human, and I get mad. <clears throat> Road rage. I was really good the last few weeks when people tried to kill us. <clears throat> I was. I, I was, I bit my tongue and I was nice and I just swallowed my pride and sucked some breath in and let some breath out. We can go into Mark eleven twenty three in the NIV. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. I had a, long, a hard time for many years really believing that really believing that I could speak to that mountain and see it move until I realized what mountains he was talking about. We sang about it when we sang Raise a Hallelujah. We haven't sang that song in probably a year here. 
And it was just so powerful because it speaks of it in that moment. See, that I don't know if you guys know the story of that song, but that song was written in a time when a child was near death. When all hope was lost and all they had left was to cry out to Abba Father and raise a hallelujah. And to basically build a humongous Trojan horse to fight this battle out of praise. That's the mountains that it's speaking of. Things that are coming against us that seem so surmountable that there's no way that we can conquer them. But let me tell you a little bit about my week. I got the blessing of being able to be in a wedding expo today. Now, originally, I thought it was yesterday. And also, I didn't get confirmation of it until Tuesday of this week. So I had nothing prepared. Having never done an event like this, I didn't understand the enormity of the preparation process. I just thought, I'll show up with some pictures and a smile. Nope. Next thing I know, I'm ordering brochures and flyers and business cards, which I needed to do anyway. I've been putting that off because it's 1992, right? And then prints, and then more prints, and then more prints, and then a banner, and then another sign, and then another banner. If you can hear what's happening here, I had to keep ordering the same things over and over again and replacing them because everything was broken or coming in wrong. Now, this was a huge blessing because I get to go set up at this event 100% for free. And I had no idea how much it cost to do these sort of things. I probably would not have done it had it been up to my own devices but getting into it spending the money and buying the stuff as the days went on you can ask my beautiful bride over here I began to get more and more frustrated I was not grumpy I was a lot grumpy I was a lot distracted too not only was I distracted from the truth of the matter but I was distracted from this. And the further I dove into that to fix this and fix that and get this right and reorder a sign and then argue with somebody over printing something wrong and wanting my money back and going through all that, something started to creep in that was dark, that was heavy, and that was doubt. Doubt that I was even good enough to be there. Doubt that I had a place to even be there. And yesterday when I went up and set up my little baby booth and looked at all the big boy booths, woo, I felt like a kindergartner taking a Cheeto to show and tell. (laughs) She thought that was funny. And it got worse as the day went on and I started to think about how complicated my message was and how I wanted to convey some ideas that directly related to photography and show off how smart I am and really blow you all away and give you some really cool things. I want to give you a little bit of it here in a minute, but I started to doubt my message and I started to doubt if I had even a place in this month in this sermon series. 
Doubt creates that emptiness and void in our lives. It starts to open up a hole that only one thing can fill. But the thing is, usually we try to fill it with something else. Pizza. Alice likes the pizza. Pizza, chicken wings, hamburgers. Thank you, Jesus, for hamburgers. YouTube, TikTok. What's that show we're watching? Parenthood. It's a good show. You should watch it. But we start to fill things up instead of filling it with what he wants to fill it with, starting to fill our chaos with his order. So I got a question, a little bit of a rabbit hole here. What was the first doubt ever? Come on, somebody can answer this. Yep, that's what you kind of ruined my point there. Thanks. The first time that doubt creeped creeped into the picture was that the tree in the middle when the serpent comes slithering up the sneaky snake comes slithering up and tempted Eve to come over and take a bite of the fruit he did so by creating doubt in her heart that she was good enough come take a bite of this apple and you'll be like God forgetting that she was made in his image already and she was like him But that doubt creeped in, which then would, as we know the story goes, created more doubt and more doubt and more doubt and more darkness and more chaos and more chaos until we got an answer to the chaos. Until we got an answer to come walk this earth and complete some work on the cross to show us order. So the next thing, the last part of this is light in the shadows. This is where I'm going to nerd out a little bit on you. Hang on, okay? We're, we're almost done, I promise. My dad was a photographer. I was fascinated by it from a young age. I always had a camera, and I was always shooting something. I had the disposable ones, and then I had a Minolta that he had, he had handed down to me that wasn't the greatest in the world. And then <clears throat> about 16 years old, he gave me his, his Minolta X7000 and all the lenses to go with it because he had moved into something fancy and new called a digital camera. And my dad took pictures of planes, trains, and automobiles. And if you're old enough to get that joke, we're on the same page. But it's the truth. Those are the things that he liked to take pictures of in landscapes too. And I would do everything I could to try to mimic the pictures my dad took. My dad had pictures back when they had camera stores. You remember those things? Where you could take your film and have it developed and, and enlarged and don't say blown up. That makes... Film nerds really upset, you say, enlarged. But he had big pictures of trains and airplanes in Charleston at the camera stores, and he was in the newspaper often. I wanted to be like him. And everything I did, I tried and tried and tried to understand exposure, to understand the relationship of the film speed versus the shutter speed versus the aperture. I know that's all Greek to you guys, but I'll get there, okay? But no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't see the light right. I couldn't see exposure. I couldn't read the meter. I just, I just didn't get it, so I quit. I gave the camera back, and I gave up on it. 16 turns into 21, <clears throat> and I get the camera back. Mom and dad 
split, and I got a bunch of stuff. I had to vacate the house. So here's the camera in my lap again, and I thought, hey, what the hey, let's go at it. So I get back into it. I'm driving around all over Virginia where I lived at the time, taking pictures of everything that I could. And I'll never forget it. I stopped on the side of the road to take a picture of this horse, and I knew that I'd nailed it. I got it back from the lab, and it was completely overexposed because I'd forgot to shut the back of the camera correctly. So everything on the roll was ruined. So I quit. <clears throat> that day, I took that camera and all the lenses and everything that went with it to the pawn shop and sold it for 20 bucks. Yeah, I know, 20 bucks, no joke. Went and bought a pizza. That's exactly what happened. I gave up again. Finally, after a few years, I could afford a digital camera. I buy a digital camera because I can shoot as much as I want, as often as I want, and I'm right back where I was. I still don't have a grasp of light and dark. So I quit again. I mean, I was shooting professionally at this point and never was happy with anything that I was doing, shooting weddings, engagements, and everything I delivered, I was it just, I just, and I didn't feel like they were too jazzed about it either. So I gave that camera away again to a young girl who wanted to be a photographer. She's still using it to this day. Well, a few years ago, when Angie decided to become a realtor, I said, under no circumstances will you pay somebody, I'll do it. So I bought a camera, and you guys know the rest of the story. What you see in front of you is something called a histogram. <clears throat> now, this is a graph that we use in photography, digital photography especially, to look at our exposure. And there's a little, in my little viewfinder on my camera and on my screen, depending on how I'm shooting, I can bring that up and look at how the light is coming into the sensor. Right? <clears throat> So if you see it all the, the mountain all the way to the right, see we're moving mountains here, right? The mountain all the way to the right is underexposed. That means it's really, really, really dark. That means the shadows have taken over. But conversely, when the mountain's all the way to the right, that means it's too bright. The light has taken over. So what we want is to build a mountain right down the center. We want the fall to the valley to land just before the edge. If it's past the edge, it's too dark. Now, you can have things that are a little skewed and a little off, and you can play with light, and you can do some things. Some of these pictures, in fact, all these pictures that you've been watching on the screens are pictures that I took at my gym. I took it there because everything there is black and white. And all I had to do, there was no choice without the lights on, was to play with the light. But if you look, the perfect... Exposure is right down the center, and that's what the picture behind it is. You go ahead and move on to the next slide. This is important because that mountain of light, that perfectly exposed light, is spoken of in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. His word, his spoken word is a light to us to light our path, to light our lives. And if we're created in his image and we can speak, not only can we speak life, but we can speak light. Right? Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So this is the real big thing that I took from this. Move on to the next slide, please. This is the big thing that I, that I took from this. This is the exposure triangle. How many sides does a triangle have? 
Obviously, the answer is right there, and we can all count to three. I failed geometry, right? So on one side, we have aperture. That's the apparatus that lets light in and out of the camera. We'll leave it at that. I can go, go on forever about that. ISO is the sensitivity of the sensor or the film, if we were shooting film, and bottom is shutter speed, right? But here's what I never understood and why I failed miserably for so many years is because if I move one thing on one side of that triangle, the things on the other side have to compensate an equal amount. So if I up my aperture, then my ISO needs to move a little and my shutter speed needs to move a little. But that's not really how it works. One thing on that triangle will stay the same. I'll either pick the ISO, the shutter speed, or the aperture to be constant, and then the other two have to move in equal amounts to balance out the change in exposure to get me as close to that center as I can. Now, with artistic license, I might change it a little bit after the fact, or I might shoot dark, or I might shoot light to convey something, but textbook down the center exposure is done like that. One side of that triangle stays the same, and the other two move in relationship. Next slide. But as I started to really get back into photography and study this triangle, I started to think about things in threes. We're triune and build. God's triune and build. This triangle's triune. But I know that one thing on this triangle never changes, and that's the Father. The Son changes in our lives as we need Him to. He comes to us in different ways and different times and so does the Holy Spirit but the Father never changes now I'm not saying that Jesus is one thing or another that those are constant and I know that's a little contradictory but give me a little artistic license here the same Jesus I needed yesterday isn't the same Jesus that I need today and the same Holy Spirit that speaks to me now doesn't speak to me the same way he did yesterday as he will tomorrow because I change daily you change daily he adapts to us as we need him to, constantly poking on our shoulder. Sometimes he has to scream. Sometimes he has to slap me down for a second and say, yo. That sounds like I'm saying he's condemning or he's coming at you, but what I mean is sometimes he'll do something so grandiose to get my attention. I'm like, oh. You've never had to do that before. I really had a lot of doubt in my life at that time. So tying all this up, God spoke order in existence with a single word. Start, started by a single breath. And we too can speak order in the chaos. So I challenge you as you move in through these next few weeks in this time of Thanksgiving as we start to hang out with our families. We're all going to have some perfect opportunities to practice speaking light in the situations, to speaking light into a shadow. So Sunday on the 26th, we're going to talk about breathing life into worship, breathing light into worship. Can you come play a little bit for me? So as we wrap this up, if, if this touched you in any certain way or it spoke to you, I hope that this encourages you to maybe take another step further in understanding and maybe take a few minutes to spend some time with him just breathing. To spend some time just... I like to challenge people to do something I like to call the first 15. 
And if you're, if, if you're not spending time with him to develop that voice, to develop that breath, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, but as a singer, we have to develop the muscle in order to sing. And as a, as a pretend boxer, we have to develop the muscles in order to touch, run, jump rope, breathe. I've got to develop the muscles to breathe within that art, that art, that sport. Right? So I want to challenge you to the first 15 till now on Thanksgiving, till we see each other again and I'm in this pulpit. And I'll actually be off next week, so you won't see me again till then. So perfect. Take the first 15 minutes of your day. And if you're already doing this and you're spending time with God right off the bat, great. I challenge you to go five minutes more. But if you're not, this is a great exercise. Take the first five minutes in prayer. Arrange it however you want. But take five minutes in prayer, five minutes in worship, and five minutes in the Word. And I promise you, by the next time you see me, you're going to be so hungry for that breath and His Word. And you're going to be so willing and ready to spew it back to Him and to everybody you come across to be that light in this world, to be the city on the hill, that it'll change you. I know this from experience because I had to make that challenge to myself to take the first 15 of every day. And what happened was after a couple days, it was 20. And then after another couple days, it was 30 because I got so wrapped up in prayer or I get so wrapped up in worship. And the next day, it's an hour. And the next thing you know, you're so hungry for His presence, so hungry for His Word, so hungry for Him to breathe that breath into you just so you can return it. It's a big circle. He breathes into us and we breathe back into Him. You guys want to stand up to your feet. very important to me that even though I see a bunch of familiar faces and we see each other all the time, but I always have to give an opportunity when I'm speaking to anybody that wants prayer, anybody that wants to come, anybody that wants to recommit or start over, just wants to come lay some things at his feet, or even you just want to come sit down in his presence. We've, We've been in a phenomenally amazing time here at Grace Life where we've been so relaxed and trusting the Spirit and what He wants to do. I'm seeing all of His growth through it. And that's the thing I'm talking about today is the more we exercise these muscles, the more we breathe, we're going to see things change. Just me this week, I had to remind myself as I got angry to take a breath in and give the breath back another breath in and give the breath back and with that breath comes peace breathe him in return him back it's an amazing so Father I thank you for this day I thank you for this message I'm thankful that people actually laughed at my jokes I was really worried but more so I'm thankful that you have given us breath to breathe in order that we may walk this earth in your image and let people see your light shine. 
Father, I pray everybody under the sound of my voice leaves today with a renewed yearning to just sit and breathe you in. Father, we love you. We're thankful for you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. So as we always do, I want to give the blessing over top of you as we leave.